I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Dave. Hi, Tom. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Everything's. These are very strange times. The world's uh, going so crazy. It's good to see you. Um, it's good to see you. It's always good to see you. Yes. Where are you? I'm. I'm in New York City. Heard um, that. Yeah, it's the place. It's the place where uh, all the uh, the uh, Canadian forest fire smoke likes to go. Mm-hmm. Because they sent it that way. Yes, yeah, smoke loves Broadway. Everyone knows that. And I heard everyone complaining about the smoke, whereas in LA, that's just known as Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, that's the uh, world's on fire here regularly. So uh, you've got limited sympathies from me on that. Mm-hmm. Just breathe it in. Just, <sighs> just take it all in. But um, listen, welcome everybody to uh, this emergency uh, broadcast of really this, you know, we interrupt our usual uh, podcast schedule to just catch up on the fucking nuttiness that's been going on for a few weeks. We have been recording episodes of this podcast, but watching events just transpire that continually are changing this conversation, changing the dynamic of the UAP phenomenon. Holy shit. Um, so we just decided that we had to uh, jump into this and to to stay in that uh, like we're not we're not you know we're not breaking news we're not uh, trying to stay on, on the pulse of things but so much has happened yeah that absolutely we, that we kind of have to address it or else it, uh, because I mean because we we've done we've recorded six conversations um, and with some great guests and uh, two of them were uh, we did one show with uh, with Leslie Kane. Uh, and then the next day, we did a, another wonderful show with uh, Ralph Blumenthal, the two people who wrote the, uh, yeah. the New York Times 1917 article about the, you know, about ATF and Tic Tac. Yeah. And, um, and we didn't know at the time that we were recording that, that they were, they were in the process of breaking like one of the biggest stories of all time. 
the David yeah. Grush uh, whistleblower story uh, that they, David Grush had come forward and and with uh, made an uh, a, a intelligence community inspector general's uh, whistleblower complaint stating that um, that the United States had uh, secret uh, UFO craft retrieval programs and reverse engineering programs that they were not they were illegally keeping from Congress. Yes, he claimed to, um, and thank you, Leslie and Ralph, who are, you know, fonts of UAP information. So these are incredible interviews, regardless of the fact that they were sitting on the David Grush story. <laughs> There's a, 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 you know, Ralph Blumenthal wrote an amazing book about John Mack and, and Leslie. So those, these episodes will be, will be well great worth for to. Any, well worth anyone, it. yes, worth catching up on. But yeah. The the one among the claims was that David Grush, who is a former uh, uh, decorated war hero mm-hmm. um, and, and from in Afghanistan, he was a naval intelligence officer. He was also part of the UAP task force, I think, from 2019 to 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, someone with extremely high clearance, security clearance. And he claims that he has uh, spoken to many individuals who have, I believe, first-hand knowledge of these retrieval programs and has seen documentation and seen some photographs, I think he said, that uh, confirmed for him the reality of the existence of these programs. And so he sought out legal protection and has testified apparently three times before Congress, or at least with the... Uh, Senate Intelligence Armed Services Committee. Does mm-hmm. that all sound yes. about right? Yes, and I think he was also the representative of NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, uh, to the UAP task force. And I just saw a little thing online today where they they um, released a document where uh, with the NRO, which is basically basically satellite surveillance of the planet. Uh, I think and a lot of that sort of thing. So he was the liaison between that and the UAP task force. And I just saw a thing where the NRO had a document um, discussing an object they observed that resembled the Tic Tac. And they used the term the Tic Tac in the official document. So this story was um, an incredible bombshell to rival the 2017 story that revealed that um, Arrow existed. Um, Or ATIP. Right. Yes. Identified ATIP. Technically, was may have been and speaking also, about Arrow, but yeah. um, the but that story sort of shook the foundations. Everything sort of seems post twenty seventeen. That you know that particular story, it got Congress activated, it, um, started to have hearings on this, and now this story, arguably David Grush is the most high ranking intelligence official to ever come forward to confirm the existence of retrieval programs secret access programs, uh, legacy programs. And so far, there has been both um, crickets, meager efforts to try to disenfranchise him, try to debunk him. Uh, And on the contrary, he actually seems to have been, um, be getting, uh, you know, the, the, those, those who are willing to testify on behalf of his, credentials on his character are 
very impressive. People that are currently in, you know, uh, in government and high level security clearance. Um, we have a sort of mutual person we know who we've spoken to, not yet on the podcast, but is probably the most legitimate and credentialed academic on this issue, uh, privately emailed with me about his the vouching for his character and the mainstream media how would you describe what they were what they were doing with this story totally absent i would say um unbelievably absent because even if you um um uh, don't you know even if you you know you want to dismiss the content of what he's saying the, the very fact that someone of his rank and and security clearance is making this argument even if you think he's crazy or lying, it's a big story and would be covered if it was on any other subject on earth. If it was about anything uh, at all, other than the UFO story, uh, it would be getting wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, but because because it is about UFOs or UAPs, um, it uh, it has gotten nothing. The only the only coverage has been on News Nation. Um, News Nation's been all over it. And they had the, the um, I think they aired the Ross Colfart interview. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they've been doing tons of interviews supporting that interview. And uh, I just saw Sean Cahill on there recently. Uh, and, it- and the one thing that he added in the Colfart uh, interview was the idea that we may have pilots recovered from some of these crashes, mm. which is it's not something that was in the Leslie Kane Ralph Blumenthal's story, or she has said that she won't comment on it because yeah. she said, "Well, yeah, I guess they didn't discuss it. She didn't discuss." It. But I get the feeling that that Ralph and Leslie did not want to discuss that, or did not want to know that at the time. And there's uh, who else is Michael Schellenberg is another guy who's been backing up the story, but also wouldn't go near the uh, the bodies angle of it, which is very odd. It's, What's that all about? I know it's just that feeling. They, I think it's just that fear that that's too far, and no one will listen to the rest of it if they say that. But it's kind of a weird logic to say. Well, all right, we're we're willing to say there are, there are non-human craft, but we're going to draw the line at that non-humans piloted them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, exotic technology is exotic technology, and and one you know. Uh, it doesn't take a great leap, and it's always been a part of the mythology of Roswell that there were bodies associated yeah. with it, and and whether or not these bodies represent uh, living beings or these bodies represent some sort of technology, perhaps uh, some sort of you know avatars for whatever else is is out there. It is um, insane to even be talking about this. And yet it is now, and I I do want to point out, there was like these weird, you know, uh, I think Ezra Klein did an interview with Leslie where he was Mm -hmm. sort of kind of poking around it. And there was that for his podcast, for his New York times podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this um, Ross do that sort of very dismissive opinion piece in the New York times. And some, some kind of groups were sort of toying with it but still don't know what to do with it. And there's still that kind of air of this sort of arrogance of, you know, mainstream journalism that just can't be touched. Um, despite the fact that this, this, this spillage continues to happen and there's this activity, this bipartisan activity mm-hmm. uh, in the house and Senate that is undeniable. 
and yeah. would is news on on uh, would be as you said would be news about it on any other level um and some of the things that grush talks about are wild pieces of history apparently he was allowed to talk about this 90 year old case mm-hmm. that um a craft crashed in italy um and the vatican the pope Pope Pius, some Pope, someone the twelfth, whoever the Pope was, orchestrated yeah. this ability to get some craft to the U.S., and um, that that is one of the crashes that we possess, and that somehow that maybe that's why he was able to talk about this because I don't know outside the the uh, the intelligence, uh, what's the term for it? The, the um, jurisdiction, the, the you yeah. know the, the time like, had, enough time had passed. Yeah. To, so that is one of the craft that we had supposedly from Italy. Yeah, pre-war, um, pre-war under Mussolini, it crashed. Um, and so, so yeah. One, well, the only good thing Mussolini's done is he managed to get a craft to us, I suppose. Um, but yeah, this this the, these claim he claims there are twelve craft in some sort of government or private industry possession. Mm-hmm. And I guess this. The question is, why don't we see any pictures of it? What should we be concerned that there is only information being conveyed from one source to another source? And David Grush is saying he does not have firsthand experience with these programs. Yes. Is that something we should wonder about? Question. Well, certainly, what- I think there's a it's a misrepresentation when people say it's just hearsay. You know, it's just hearsay if I say it, you know, if I come around saying, you know, I heard this guy said they got these UFOs. That's what we're doing. They got a thing, you know, they got a thing. Uh, That's your, but, um, but when it's a guy who is, has top level security clearance, who has apparently been able to, uh, to look into over like 2000 UAPs in his job working as an intelligence officer, not UAP, SAP programs, the most secret programs that the government has. So he's been able to look in on all of them, which is kind of how he sort of got a lot of this information. And he's got other top, you know, high-ranking people with with high-level security clearances, all confirming what he is saying and backing him up and vouching for his character. And I mean, that's and that was all that came public, even in the uh, in the uh, the article. I mean, they had people like was it Carl Carl E. Nell. Came forward mm-hmm. in the in the in the debrief article, and right, he was part record. of the task force. Yeah, and he on the and then a pseudo and then a, a, an individual using a pseudonym, correct? Yeah, a guy was, named, who, yeah, named Jonathan Grant, which I guess is just his nom de spy. Um, I want I want a nom de spy. Yeah, so he also came forward and said, and not only vouched for his character, but said that uh, basically the the non human intelligence phenomenon is real. We are not alone, is what Gray said. You know, he said retrievals are not limited to the United States, and this is a global phenomenon. So, um, so it's it sort of goes beyond the level of hearsay when you've got all of these people backing it up. And then, just recently, uh, as you know, uh, uh, Marco Rubio went v- public uh, with a statement uh, that that he that Congress has been approached going back as much as two years ago by other whistleblowers uh, who are who are not public and who are have fears for their safety and their careers. 
to me, this is fu- this is even fucking nuttier than the David Grush story. I yeah. mean, the the fact that Rubio came forward and f- whatever politics aside, I'm no Rubio poli- political no. fan. This guy is vice chairman of the Senate Armed Intelligence and Armed Services Committee. This is not a um, sort of side like yeah. group of clowns. They're dealing. They're dealing with the most serious secrets on earth mm-hmm. and they are, they are unanimous and bipartisan in their approach to this issue. So yeah. sorry, well, but the, I, the, this, the fact that you have, well, the fact you have Mark, Mark, Marco Rubio and Christian Gillibrand working hand in glove on this, you know, you, you've got Mark Warner and Tim Burchett, uh, Tim Burchett, Burchett, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. I'll accept uh, either pronunciation. But, uh, you know, again, the 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 far you know really far right and far left and people all the way in the middle and it's and they're they're writing legislation that is um, well maybe before we get to that why don't we should we should we run the, just the clip of, of of Rubio run the fucking tape Dave Senator Rubio said that he the senator has heard from those firsthand account witnesses to some of these claims and I tried to press him and asked him in a number of different ways. Uh, okay, the people who are saying that they have seen these things up close and personal, spacecraft and others, you have heard from those people who've made those claims. And here's what the senator told us. I'm going to play a, a big chunk of our exchange. We'll say there are people that have come forward to share information with our committee over the last couple of years. I would imagine some of them are potentially some of the same people that perhaps he's referring to. I want to be very protective of these people. A lot of these people came to us even before these protections were in the law for whistleblowers to come forward. Sorry, people who have had firsthand knowledge, who claim to have firsthand knowledge of seeing this type of thing. Or, or have firsthand knowledge or firsthand claims of certain things. Uh, some are public figures, you know, and, and you've heard from them in the past. Others, um, you know, have, have not shared publicly. And so we're trying to gather as much of that information as we can. But I, and the reason why I'm being cautious, I'm not trying to be evasive, but I am trying to be protective of these people. Some of these people still work in the government. And frankly, a lot of them are very fearful, fearful of their jobs, fearful of their clearances, fearful of their career. And, and, and some, frankly, are fearful of harm coming to them. So that category of people who have firsthand knowledge, who say they have actually seen these kinds of things, do you find many of them credible? Well, I don't find them either not credible or credible because we have no basis about understand some of these claims are things that are beyond sort of the realm of what any of us has ever dealt with. What I think we owe them is just a mature, you know, understand listening and, and trying to put these all these pieces together and just sort of intake the information without any prejudgment or jumping to any conclusions in one direction or another. I will say I find most of these people at some point or maybe even currently have held very high clearances and high positions within our government. So you start at you do ask yourself like what incentive would so many people with that kind of um, qualification these are serious people have to come forward and make something up? I mean that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It's nuts. It's that is uh, unprecedented in seventy five years or eighty years of UAP culture conversation yeah. whispers. That is a Again, the vice chairman, the second highest ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Armed Services Committee, basically saying, why the fuck would these people with all these high level clearances be coming forward? So many, so many of them would come forward and compromise and sacrifice careers, potentially their lives to 
to what? To spread yeah. disinformation? To to talk bullshit? To waste the world's yeah. time? It's and people, it's absurd. And people who came forward before the whistleblower protection legislation was written were also risking their freedom. Yeah, yeah, you know, because they obviously feel like this. the The world needs to know. I don't know if there's something they know that compels us to know now versus just government secrecy. That's it's it's funny. We were talking about this, and if I may share, you, you expressed you were you were a little you were getting a little concerned. Do you oh, want yeah. to just share what was concerning you? Well, I say after watching the, the not Marco that I'm Rubio, not, but no, after watching the Marco Rubio thing, I started to get this feeling of what what are we walking towards at this point, and are we going to regret it? Are we going to regret? Are we are we going to regret wanting to know this? And how is it going to affect the world that we live in, um, and uh, the world that, or more importantly, the world that our our children are going to live in? Because um, we we both have children that we find reasonably tolerable and uh, want their lives to be relatively uh, uh, pleasant. <laughs> My uh, kids don't want anything to do with this issue. I, I mean, and no. it's, it, it started with like, okay, dads will like dads do like UFO podcast, which just that alone was, was becoming like, <laughs> but uh, they, I, it's anxiety. They don't want to talk about it because it yeah. makes them anxious. And well, I, can understand that because it is it, it is now getting to the point of um it, it has to be looked at so squarely and now the implications have to be taken into account because the is it or isn't it is becoming just it's not even becoming it's gone i yeah. i think the is it or isn't it is gone this marco rubio quote to me is is a is an effort to there's what is his motivation for coming for? What the fuck good does it do him? I mean, is it just yeah. some big UFO constituency in Florida that like demands that he speak to this issue? No, like I don't think this helps him or Kristen Gillibrand, other than the fact that they are painfully aware of some hugely important secret and they must be either waving a flag to those in possession of this material. Mm -hmm. There are so many implications that the mind goes wild. For instance, I'll just put this out there. It, it speaks to a sort of shadow government. Like why the hell is Marco Rubio going like, oh. it's obviously there's serious people coming forward with incredible top secret clearances saying this program exists and, and he doesn't know where it is. He's at the top committee level of who should know where this shit is. So yeah. And he's worried that his witnesses may be in danger. Yeah, maybe killed. Forward. And it, like, presumably we should be able to protect those people. But so is there some shadow government? There's, um, There's been quotes in the past by Lou Elizondo, for example, that only certain presidents were given this information, perhaps only presidents with intelligence backgrounds, um, because the other political players simply didn't seem either serious enough or may not last long enough or may not be trusted with this information. So I guess that limits who we may have assumed knew or didn't know, perhaps George Bush Sr. knew, you know, Eisenhower, um, who, you know, the, the number of presidents who have dealt with who, or been in intelligence uh, is limited. CIA was never seen as a great career track to the presidency prior to George Bush being nominated as vice president for Reagan. But um, I think that was 
uh, one of the disturbing aspects of the Rubio quote among many disturbing aspects was just who the, who's running this fucking show? Like, yes. And, and, and it's, and here's another thing uh, to go to get back to harping on the media. Uh, you have, again, Mark, Mark Rubio and Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, the right and the left writing new as of when, when was this just a few days ago that they published the news. She the just new tweeted, she just tweeted uh, that she has secured the funding, the full funding for Arrow, mm-hmm. which I don't know what Arrow really is at this point. It feels like it's a maybe legit, maybe sort of, uh, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say that they've written unanimous you know, uh, bipartisan legislation. And at this point in our political history, that alone should be front page news, no matter what it's about. If it was about, you know, if, you know, if, if it was about, uh, you know, uh, what bell bottoms, what kind of, you know, outlawing bell bottoms, then, then that would get front page, anything, whatever. Arguably worth doing. Yeah. yeah, But whatever, but the fact that you have this bipartisan, fully bipartisan legislation written and put out for the public and not no one in the in the press is covering it there's not one article about it there's not one not one interview on the on the news other than you know other than on news nation um part of me says maybe that's a good thing because the moment this becomes mainstream media fodder the moment sides get taken. It's almost to the benefit of disclosure for the American public. I'm just being, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, just, just taking the devil's advocate side that it allows, it allows the Senate, it allows the people sort of pushing this issue to, to, to speak with one voice. And God knows with something like this, uh, that is required, that will be required and not for God forbid to become a red blue issue. And then somebody's got to like say, this is bullshit or that's bullshit or whatever. And right now you see Romney, Warner, Gillibrand, uh, Rubio, Kennedy, like from Louisiana, like who's, I mean, never know what the hell is going to come out. They, they have all, um, who's the, uh, Kenneth Blumenthal, the Senator, they have, they are all speaking to, we're not being told everything. We know we're not being told everything. We, it's clearly something's going on. We're demanding uh, someone account for this. And, and the problem is how do you force Lockheed or Boeing? How do you force it out of one of these companies? If um, for example, they consider it their own intellectual property, their own property. They, they consider it their own, you know, they've been reverse engineering this for 70 years. Who's to say they don't have a case in court that this material belongs to them? Yeah. They're using money as their weapon against the secret government, the secret Pentagon programs that uh, they're creating a, a list, this new legislation, creating a bunch of rules. And if you violate them, your SAP uh, gets defunded. The spigot gets turned off. Um, and it seems like, like reading the, the legislation, it feels like it's crafted. And, and, and again, this happened, this came out, what, like two weeks, three weeks after. Grouchy, yeah. I mean, it's it's been public. a flood. <laughs> we've been like, we've yeah. been like, wait, we got this podcast coming out. We got all yeah. this shit, but it's literally like change by the day. Crazy stories are coming out. So yeah. Yeah. So this, yeah. So looking at this legislation, which, you know, I think you, you highlighted when you first read it that, you know, that it, that it mentions 
you know, materials not of earth in the legislation. And it keeps talking about materials and information, uh, but it also talks about third party, uh, about basically funding for third party research, which basically means handing it off to private industry. I, if I, I believe I'm interpreting it correctly. I think, that, I think that's what it's in reference to, yeah. And saying that uh, that, that is pretty ex- ex- explicitly saying that will not be funded if it is not reported to the Congress within 60 days or something like that. So here's my, here's my question about that and help me with this if you can. How, so is the, is the idea that hypothetical U, UAP crashes, mm-hmm. government says, okay, we got this, we're going to give it to some defense contractor, a Raytheon or a Lockheed or yeah. a Boeing or one of these, we're going to give this to you. And in giving this to you, they're like, hey, man, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm going to take funding from you. And that's what this – because to me, I was like, well, wait a minute. You're going to cut off funding for a program you don't know exists? Well, how, how does that work? Yeah, I'm not sure how the actual allotment works. But uh, but I think um, the idea is that there are these uh, – I guess it really is to encourage people to come forward, the whistleblowers, to protect whistleblowers, and to make and also to make it a crime to not come forward. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like yeah. The the I, I'm just trying to understand. What, is there some like pool of money that they know is going into <laughs> the fog? Well, they you def- know, and they're just like, well, just start chopping off. You know, well, that's arms how here. that's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be all those SAP programs, uh, you know, secure access programs. Uh, you know, the compartmentalized uh, compartmentalized access programs. Those things are all supposed to have. Uh, congressional oversight, right? The whole the crux of Grush's uh, whistleblower complaint is that that congressional oversight has been subverted, and that these programs have been uh, taken into the dark world, and and been moved into private industry, and uh, and that that there has been a you know I mean, that also in the in the legislation there's even a reference to uh, funding for security. Um, for these programs, saying that if you you aren't reporting the you know material and information, uh, then you get no money for your security. So they're basically trying to cut off the funding for the uh, for the secrecy, cut off the funding for the cover up. So they're basically they're using uh, finances as a way to starve out all of these programs. It seems like it seems like every part of this legislation. Is about starving um, illegal programs of funding until they uh, till they come clear, but also throwing out the the uh, I guess the uh, the uh, the carrot of that if you res- if you report within the time allotted in the legislation, there will be no criminal action taken against you. So basically, you've got uh, people who, you know, who I mean. That's part of the complaint is that there are people committing crimes in order to cover up these programs. Listen, I mean, the senator and David Grush has has been quoted in the last 24 hours as saying that he has had a terrifically hard time since coming forward publicly and that he's not going to speak to it. But he implied very much. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Threats, you know, he implied danger. Um, Rubio went said that these people fear for their safety. It would surprise none of us that this had been over the years, it's, I think, pretty obvious that people have been threatened, they've been surveilled, they have been driven out of careers, they've been ridiculed, they've been mocked, they've been publicly shamed and or potentially killed. Um, you know, George Knapp was very clear and, and about things that happened to Bob Lazar, whose um, profile is rising with every revelation that comes forward because he may have been the canary in the coal mine after all, after all the, what he has been through because, um, Knapp said witnesses just, you know, were scared of their children threatened, um, things, you know, people who wanted to come forward to corroborate Lazar's story were completely backed off, totally disappeared. Um, or at least they vanished from Knapp's, uh, you know, uh, not that they died necessarily, but were threatened that they could be killed. And, and Lazar himself, his, his house was bugged. His phones were bugged. He was of course, totally derided. And, and um, so I find that will be, there's going to be a lot of looking back and there's a, just, that's just such a small example of the wreckage that will have to be reckoned with yeah, the, if this all comes forward, and as it, it appears to be coming forward, because now it just feels like this hapless flailing between the media and the government, and these uh, uh, no one knows what to say. I mean, and honestly, it's just every no one knows what to say. Like this Grush has pretty unimpeachable credentials, integrity, character that people will vouch for, war hero, top level clearances. What the What's the motivation? There's and, not that much money in the UFO game. Like this is not like people. That yeah. People are under and, the illusion that they're all billionaires. It's, no, it's no, not. There's really no money the in there. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's like not a huge. Is, yeah, it's not a huge. You know, go, go to you know say. Well, I've never been to any of the UFO conferences and that, but you see, it's not a. You know, I mean, it's, it's people, not like it's not like Comic Con. No, they feel a duty. They feel an obligation to come forward. And yes, and there's obviously, we know there's a huge sort of arena of kind of quackery. Yes, of course there is, because it's something that very few people can be experts on. And those, so if those claiming to be, but we're in a new ball game, totally new ball game. And I don't think these uh, officials, I don't think these intelligence officials, these, what the, why I just repeat, what the fuck would they be wasting their time yeah. On this, 
And well, if they yeah. didn't feel that it, it was critically important and it was happening. Well, as I say, like they say, the, here, the, um, the appropriate committees, the Select Committee on Intelligence, the Committee on Armed uh, Services, and the Committee on Appropriations of the Senate, the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the Committee on Armed Services, and the Committee on Appropriations of the House of Representatives. So these are serious. These are, these are some of the most serious committees uh, that you can be on in um Highly coveted, highly coveted in government. You know, oh, this, it, the, if you're a senator, you and you want to be the big dog, you go on one of these committees. Yes, yeah, you definitely. Yeah, if you if you hope to have a path to the presidency at some point, these are committees you want to be on. You know, or you know, and so also it's the coolest committee because they know all the secret shit. I mean, that's what they're they're reporting with the CIA, NSA. Mm-hmm. You know, they're dealing with international and, and yeah. espionage and spelldudgery and all that stuff. Yeah. So the fact that the people on these committees have written laws. Demanding uh, that, you know, uh, and, and again, I look through it, it just seems like it's written, it's like a bespoke, tailor-made legislation uh, built exactly around what we know of Grush's whistleblower complaint. You know, everything about it, it even mentions a stovepipe in here, there's like a uh, part of it is a, a paragraph about avoiding uh, technology and security stovepiping, which is something that Grush has talked about, that these, you know, that there's no communication. That's something that Bob Lazar talked about back in 89, that there's no communication between the different different groups of people working on these projects. Um, you know, that it, you know, as I said, that it talks about, thir- you know, private industry exploitation. It even talks about, like, modes of, of propulsion. Uh, that, you know, that excludes things that are modes of like craft that have propulsion we already understand, including like, you know, ionic drives. Um, So basically they list every form of propulsion that we know human beings have created and excluded them from the legislation. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's true that they know more, of course, than we do because they've been getting these classified briefings and they've been hearing from as Rubio said, so many people yes. and, uh, and with high-level clearances. Couple of years. You said over like the last two years. So they have an idea of what someone has. They are getting firsthand uh, information, but they don't yet have in their minds the authority or the evidence to shut it down, reveal it, uh, whatever it is. But what does it say about why now um, and what possible reasons could there be to not come forward yeah. with this information? Um, is well, there a reason timing wise yeah. it's coming out now? I think that's kind well, of the anxiety I, thing. I, it's like, well, well I, I think definitely it's happening. This, this is a big part. Like you can't see that, but the Grush, the, you know, the Grush's complaint, it's, it, it's not, it can't be a coincidence that this is all happening since he came, went public. And, and so if you think he's just a crank or a nut or a guy who's, who's being duped by other people in, uh, you know, in the military or in, or in secret programs, you know, if you, think it, if you think it's all just a scam or it's all just lies or he's crazy or he's corrupt, um, it's hard to believe that the people who had access, who had to sit down and listen to his classified testimony and the classified testimony of multiple people 
with high security clearances who um, are corroborating his story. And now even Marco Rubio is saying um, that, he, you know, they've heard testimony from people who claim to have had hands-on contact with these programs. So, you know, so the people who have had the most, the most, the access to the most information, those committees are writing this legislation in response, you know, largely to the, this whistleblower complaint. You Which know. makes it historic. It makes it a landmark moment. It makes it uh, another Rubicon that is uh, crossed and can never be uncrossed. And we have people on record and testimony now, you know, and my sense is this will continue to flow in the direction of more and more disclosure. And we will see just exactly how prepared our culture is to absorb and receive this data. My feeling is I don't know how far it needs to go before people wake up and realize this is happening because I'm sure you feel the same way. I talk to people who are like, what? Like, you know, they're, they're kind of fascinated and interested, but they're not aware of what's going on or the yeah. le- or how far it's gone or how, like yes. how, how over the cliff we're like, we're Wiley Coyote way past the cliff's edge. You're just yeah. waiting to, you know, and, and so. And, 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 and the disturbing part of that is that it throws into doubt uh, the trustworthiness of our entire um, news media landscape. You know, if they can turn a blind eye to this story so consistently and in the face of what, even if, even if it's none of it's true, the allegations are huge stories. The people mm-hmm. making no, the allegations are huge stories. Yeah, yeah you know? I think you're right. You know, and, you know, and, and it's, you know, especially since this is all happening like in kind of in the same week that that uh, that um, oh yeah Daniel Daniel uh, Ellsberg yeah around the same time that Daniel Ellsberg has died and um, you know and we know uh, what his name means to the country and the history of the country and and the kind of coverage he got and the the and the kind of courage that the press showed uh, at that point in history to break the story. And now we have um, what is arguably, I mean, if there's any truth to this, um, uh, orders of magnitude more important than the Vietnam, than the Pentagon Papers. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think that there will be such extraordinary pushback. You have so many vested interests in, in this not coming to light institutionally that uh, religious groups um uh, you know the the biggest defense contractors in the world and their trillions of dollars every i mean there's there are so many interests that would be not interested in this mm-hmm. being true and coming out which again makes the fact that high levels of government are pushing back and saying this needs to be known beyond fascinating, such an interesting power struggle. And then where the media falls in that, I'm not sure if it speaks to the ingrained arrogance against this issue, this sort of, you know, kind of 
looking down, sneering at it. I don't know if that's just the institutional part of the media problem or the fact that we know there's just they're owned by certain billionaire people interests that may or may not be getting told what to say or what to do or what to program or what not to program. Yeah. And well, I think the most, I think charitable uh, interpretation would be that they are just uh, examples of the immense power of ridicule, Um, which, you know, to go back into the history of the subject, you know, the, the the Robertson panel back in the, uh, was that the uh, early seventies? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh no, it was the fifties. The late, uh, like yeah, 52. I think it was earlier. I'm that, sorry, yeah. fifty-two. I was thinking of a different panel. In uh, um, the con- uh, the Condon panel, uh, the Robertson panel, that basically so that that basically said, you know, we want to deal with this. We need to uh, uh, stigmatize it. We need to make it ridiculous. We need to make talking about it ridiculous. We need to make it a career suicide. We need to, you know, program of you know basically. Uh, uh, character assassination, um, and we need to coordinate with uh, the entertainment media. We need to feed them, feed them stories and ridicule. And and certainly, uh, my people, my tribe, comedians, have done way more than their fair share uh, to destroy the credibility of anyone who comes forward wanting to talk about UFOs. Um, you think about the. Um so many witnesses. I'm reminded of Leslie Kane's book where she spoke with so many police officers and military people and pilots, people who were not interested in the UFO topic, people that were living their lives and something happened to them and they simply said what happened to them and then get sucked into this, what you're talking about, this world of kind of ridicule or disdain and People deal with it in their own families. And I'm reminded of any witness who's come forward that, you know, just wants to tell the truth has been fighting against this, this energy that you're describing, this kind of orchestrated cultural uh, decision that was made at high levels to, to make this a non no-go territory. Yeah. And And it continues to this day. And it's, you know, we'll, we will have, um, I mean, someone I know personally is going to be a guest on our, on the podcast who had no interest in this issue, had no, didn't want to, just wasn't into it at all. And had something happen to them that was absolutely extraordinary. And her story is amazing. And it just, it makes you realize that the, what people have carried around with them that have had encounters or had experiences or know things that, they just want to come forward with and what a um, legacy kind of a shameful legacy will need to be confronted as this comes to light. And that appears to be an absolute inevitability at this point. Um, If you're paying attention at all, it's clearly out there and it's, there's just not, there is no question, but for the public at large to wrestle with the ramifications of this is going to be quite a show. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, definitely the, I mean, I think, I mean, we again. You, you experience it with your own family, and I have with mine too. The uh, the uh, the the sudden the sudden uh, deadening of the eyes when you start to talk. And just one. My my son just runs away. Yeah. And uh, and and Amelia, my daughter, just she kind of rolls her eye. Like, but I if I and I don't want to scare them. No. I don't want to. I'm. I find it still fascinating, and I and I kind of look to those who see the upsides to 
these revelations as yeah. opposed to the potential downsides of these revelations. And, um, you know, I don't know if we want to kind of speak to speak to those, but again, it goes back to the anxiety of Ruby. The, the, the Rubio thing was for me also like, what the, what the, really what I said to myself was what the fuck has Dave gotten me into? Like, that was really my, like, wow, how everything was going apologize. along fine. And yeah. And, and, then and, suddenly, for, yeah. I know, and for me, it was this moment of going, uh, because I, I sort of got serious about the topic as, as a, just like an intellectual curiosity and, and a sociological curiosity about the fact that there's all this evidence and no one's paying any attention. Yeah. I was like, how do we, how does a, and then how does a, you know, an entire culture or many cultures get manipulated into looking the other way when yeah. there is so much really credible evidence. And that was all really interesting. So it was all just interesting. And it's exciting. The, the idea that there's, there is a, another life form that is more intelligent than us and it's interacting with us and it's on our planet. That's exciting. It's great. I thought know. it was just my wife, yeah. but apparently <laughs> yeah. not. It's yeah. apparently more, you know, it's more complex than that. Yeah. But now, I, yeah, but now as we get, as, as I said, now with the Grush thing, and because that was always one I was kind of, uh, when I started hearing about this from people I was talking to like almost, almost a year ago, um, who I haven't cleared that I can, I haven't cleared I can talk about what they said to me or who said it, but, um, but started hearing about the existence of whistleblowers who are going to come forward about this exact subject and being, being told flat out, yes, these craft exist and, um, and these programs exist. I was just sort of going, no, that I was not ready to accept that. I was, I was willing to accept, okay, they're flying around in the sky and they can, they can do all these remarkable things. And, but, um, that we, you know, that it really, you know, that we really are that engaged with it, uh, on a very secret level. Yeah. And I think the, um, evolving theories of proximity that we may or may not have with these entities is one of the more new and potentially disturbing aspects of it that there's something about, well, you know, if something's really far away in outer space and sort of coming to visit us, that seems like a, I don't know, more conventional way to, to meet these new beings and maybe we can talk and share our languages. And whereas what seems to be happening is the conversation is getting less about ET and becoming more about potentially sharing this planet with something that we are only now kind of becoming aware of or mm. is allowing us to become aware of uh, something that could occupy space or reality in a way that we simply cannot perceive, which is bothersome because it doesn't <laughs> where, where, where is it? it's the fishbowl effect. We simply cannot perceive a, their dimensional world. And to me, it, begins to really expand the conversation and things make a lot more sense. Um, we, we have a conversation um, coming up with uh, uh, Paul Hynek, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, on our podcast. And we talk about yeah. son, possible of, son of J. Allen Hynek, yeah. son of J. Allen Hynek, who coined the, the, the phrase close encounters of the first, second and third kind. So um, made a cameo in close encounters, the movie. So he, we were talking about the possible chemical gateways to 
these things and, and whether or not um, they are accessible in different ways, but it's, it definitely makes the conversation exotic and the questions even more bothersome and confusing and, and uh, makes, um, makes it all very fascinating. And I still think there's probably um, amazing good that can come from, technologies that could help us yep. evolve, On but the, it's also yeah, I think if interesting we're gonna, to know their motivations. Yeah, if we want to cling to any utopian um, possible outcome, then yeah, maybe maybe this is, if this if we break down the secrecy and we get rid of, as they say, in the legislation, the stovepiping of intelligence, um, you know, and technology, the stovepiping of, of research, then maybe there are breakthroughs that we can make. Um, you know, if we can, if we can put our very best scientists all working on these problems together, uh, holistically, then yeah, maybe we can make breakthroughs. Maybe we can, uh, uh, develop new sources of information that won't destroy our planet. You know, maybe we can, uh, develop some sort of, uh, anti-gravity drives that can give us access to, um, the neighborhood. You know, and uh, so, you know, and, and maybe our lives can be really enriched, you know, like, you know, I think, uh, who was, was it, was it Gary Nolan who was talking about how our, our world was changed by, you know, a grain of silicon and being doped with a few chemicals and, mm. uh, and how much more, I mean, the technology that we could gain, how, how it could change our worlds. Um, and he is one of the, uh, I have to say, um, you know, coolest people to talk to about this topic. We'll, we'll get him on the podcast at, at some point where we keep circling. Um, but he's also an optimist. You know, he seems really excited about all the prospects, which is good. I, I, I'm excited by his excitement and his optimism and his intense curiosity on this. And um, so I think there's you know, reasons to be wary and cautious and hopeful and mm. curious above all. Yeah. Or as, as Lou, Lou Elizondo said, somber is another. <laughs> or that. There's that. <laughs> there's um, another was, way to go. <laughs> I was going to say, there's there's that. He has a different take on it, which is uh, yeah. all his military analogies are very, you know. Yeah. But, but he, uh, as I said, he was, he was saying over a year ago that he thought uh, humanity was reaching a pivot point. Um. Let's hope it's a pivot towards something good. Uh, I hope it's a pivot towards something we can all live with. And also, I mean, I guess I kind of hope that whatever intelligence it is behind this, um, it seems to have been quite content to live parallel to us. Um, obviously not not interacting with us, doing some things, possibly some terrible things. If you, if you uh, listen to the uh, people who have been through the abductee phenomena, um, some horrifying things, you know, I was just listening to Whitley Strieber on Weaponized with uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp last night. Um, that aspect of it is terrifying. Um, but, but by and large, the, non-human intelligences seem to be letting us go our, our own way for the most part. We still keep acting like we have governments and that, like we have dominion over the planet. And so far they, they, they let us do that. 
Now, once we are all talking about it in the open, does it have any impact on them? I find that argument strange because it seems to speak to some, uh, you know, definable line of, of knowledge, you know, where, um, you know, once, once the UFO secrets out, there would be some response or it would speak to something. I, I don't know. I find that hard to quantify. I find the theory disturbing that we're not being, it's not being disclosed because if we disclose it, then all hell breaks loose or something happens yeah. that we can't prepare for, or there's prophecies or God knows what else. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm like, a lot of people do kind of know and talk about it. Yeah. Like what constitutes, who has to finally find out and yeah. say, I believe, and then all the fucking ships arrive and we're all, you know, harvested. But I'm hopeful that that's just some general, you know, some, you know, uh, a very religious general's fear or yeah. concern. Or I, I don't, I don't obviously know. And I, well, I think Lou Elizondo has, has publicly sort of thrown out that theory, not claimed to vouch for it, but I, Listen, I, there's we, we we don't we don't know what they know. Yeah. We don't know what they've seen, and there is a very reasonable. Uh, there's there's every reason to believe that this is probably not one entity or one species of creature. If there are uh, you know if there's one or two, if there's us and there's one more, then there's probably billions, right? Mm -hmm. So there is still a big universe out there, and now potentially multidimensional things that live so i yeah. you know probably some are malevolent and, and some are and, not malevolent yeah and also i think the, the, throughout human history anytime the authorities have said that there was in, there was information that if it became public it would bring about the downfall of civilization uh it's happened a lot you know copernicus and galileo you know um and uh and the fact is that societies never have never collapsed People, uh, for better or worse, just kind of adapt. You know, it's yeah. even even like in the seventies, you had like Future Shock by Alvin Toffler saying technology is running too fast, and human human beings will not be able to cope with the pace of technology, and society will collapse. Uh, it didn't. Uh, we in fact really like our cell phones. Uh, we really like yes, the internet. Do. You know, we really like all this technology that uh, you know that. Alvin Toffley thought would drive us all insane. And our children generally, despite our raving and hysteria over whatever, they're like, eh, yeah, yeah, I kind of, you know, I look at this, I look at that. I kind of yeah. know they, they're, yeah. they're just going with it. And I think it's, you know, kind of the, the narcissism of human beings that every time their sole position in the universe is jostled uh, Galileo style where, you know, we're not, you know, the center of the universe, then everybody does kind of freak out, particularly the power institution. So I agree there's, uh, you know, paradigm shifts aren't always pleasant and we haven't had many of them, uh, recently. So this would be a biggie, um, yeah. for sure. And, and one thing, it seems like one religious group, a fairly well-known religious group has been preparing for disclosure for a very long time. And it's the Catholic Church. Um, Their role in all this would be fascinating because Grush dragged them right into the middle of it. I, got, yeah. I have some questions for the Pope, yes. Dave. So if you could arrange yeah. Since, to have Pope Francis on the next podcast, that would be great. Yeah. So if we had that 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 Pope that Pope that that, that helped the U.S. nab the uh, the UFO that landed in Italy. Uh, so maybe he started it. But there's, but there's also I think it was a 
uh, Diana Pazalka, who wrote the American Cosmic. I think she's gone public saying that she was given access to uh, the po- the uh, the Vatican's uh, seek basically private secret uh, storeroom of documents and artworks depicting UFOs going back to the Roman Empire. Field trip. Yeah. So uh, so it seems like the the Catholics have been kind of prepping for this for maybe hundreds of years. And and the fact the Pope the Pope did come out uh what last year? Two years ago? I'm forgetting now, I'm losing track of time. Uh, and may, and they they made the Vatican released a statement on what it would mean to the Catholic Church if aliens arrived on Earth. And basically said all it would mean is that the size of the Catholic congregation is enlarged. Sounds like a church like approach. Yeah. You know, just like more more congregants. Yeah. Uh, I think we should set aside a just an hour to chat, you know, Vatican uh, alien connections. If, yes. Uh, you know, what's what's been talked about or written about, because I think that's fascinating. Um, and uh, and I find this this fascinating. Listen, this was our breaking news podcast because there was so much goddamn yes. news happening that, that we, you know, we needed to address. I needed to find out how you were feeling about all this and... Um, we might have to do this more often because the the hits keep on coming. Yes, yes, and uh, yes, and and it'll. I'm not sure if it's going to uh, uh, allay my anxiety or amplify it, but I think we should do this anyway. Yeah, we will. I mean, yeah. listen, I don't. You know, I don't. We'll, we'll we'll amplify it if we need to. Yeah, I'm here for you. you I know. Need a, you know, I'm here for you. And we should record as many as we can before we're lining up with our copies of To Serve Man. And uh, and boarding and boarding the next shuttle off the planet. Yes, before they're taken away, you know, we'll we'll be we'll be here informing the public as best we can the bridge between these you know, the, the secrets and you yeah. know and and what is known. But uh, yeah, um, as always, buddy, a pleasure. Well, always always good to see you and talk with you. We're gonna um, we'll pick up with our regularly scheduled program. Amazing conversations that uh, we've had with, uh, yeah, with Jer- uh, Jeremy Corbell, um, uh, Leslie yes, Kane, Leslie Kane, Ralph, Ralph Blumenthal, Blumenthal. Uh, T.J. Allard, uh, who was the uh, the man who, who who produced the pilot episode in the series uh, 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 Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. Great, great it was chat an interesting with him. Conversation. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and obviously the Paul. Do we talk about Paul? Hein- you mentioned Paul and Heineck. Paul Heineck, and yeah. you know many, many more to come. So it's going to be a, a fun, fun ride. But um, mm-hmm. listen, stay away from the smoke. Stay away from the uh, Canadian smoke. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, look, is you know, as a Canadian, you're kind of responsible for. So yes. uh, you know, you need to own that. Well, you know, with Canadians, we just run out and cure bacon with it. So. <laughs> there you go. So that you know, see you at breakfast tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, I'll see you next week, I guess. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.